0: Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Welcome to our first lesson in the study of Daniel. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for drawing us together today. And I ask that I'd not get in the way of what you plan to do, but that, Holy Spirit, you would speak and that you would transform us by the power of your word. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Before we get into the book of Daniel itself, we need to set the stage a little bit. Daniel is one of the major prophets found in the latter part of the Old Testament. The early part of the Old Testament shows the formation and development of the nation of Israel as God's chosen people through whom the Messiah or the Savior would come. About midway through the Old Testament, we see that the 12 tribes of Israel warred against each other and divided into two different kingdoms. Ten tribes living in the north formed the kingdom of Israel, and the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin formed the kingdom of Judah in the south of the country. These different kingdoms were led by their own kings, very few of whom were any good. In fact, all of the northern kingdom's rulers did evil in God's sight. They turned away from God and led their people into idol worship. It was not long before the Lord's judgment fell on the northern kingdom and it was invaded by the Assyrians who took them captive. The southern kingdom of Judah remained free a little longer because there were several good rulers in their history. But the people's devotion to the Lord was always short-lived and any godly reforms that had been instituted by a good king were quickly undone by the next. During this time, God spoke through several of his prophets who brought his message both to the people and to the kings. One such prophet was Jeremiah, who described God's grief about his people, saying, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. God urged them not to turn away from him, for the wells of human effort always run dry. He called them to trust in him again, and he promised that if they did not repent, judgment was coming on them as it had on the northern kingdom. God's judgment finally did come in 605 BC in the form of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who marched on Jerusalem and laid siege to the city. He took captive Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, as well as members of the nobility in Jerusalem. And as they began their time in exile in Babylon, the prophet Jeremiah sent word to them again. This time, the message was not so much a warning as it was a promise from the Lord. At this time of great upheaval, God spoke comfort to his people, saying in Jeremiah 29... me with all your heart I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Jeremiah 29 11 talks about God's plans to prosper his people. And it's a well-known and often quoted verse. And yet, do you see it was God God's promise given to his people at the very beginning of the worst 70 years of their lives. It was a promise to hold on to, that he really did have their best at heart despite what they saw around them. The Babylonians repeatedly attacked the Jews who remained in Jerusalem over the course of the next 19 years or so. And each time they besieged the city, they would take more of its inhabitants to Babylon. But the Babylonians were very careful in their choice of prisoners, and they only took those people who would benefit them. By taking the nobles and the leaders in the first group, Nebuchadnezzar strategically removed all who could possibly rise up to lead the Jews left behind in the city. He was purposefully leaving the remaining Israelites weak because he would be coming back to take even more from them in due course. The second band of Jews to be taken years later was made up of all the skilled craftsmen of Judah. Numbering about 10,000 individuals, the prophet Ezekiel was among them. He was also one of God's leading spokesmen of the time, and his prophecies are found in the book of Ezekiel. The final group was torn from Jerusalem as the Babylonians finally destroyed the city and the temple on their third visit in 586 BC. After that, Jerusalem fell into disrepair. Its walls were broken down and it was left a mere shadow of its former self. However, God did fulfill his promise and his purpose. The Israelites endured 70 long years of captivity in Babylon before God returned them to Jerusalem. And very interestingly, they returned in three waves just as they'd left. The first group of exiles returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel, whose mission was to rebuild God's temple in Jerusalem. However, when those people got sidetracked and decided to build their own homes rather than the house of God, a second group formed under the leadership of Ezra with a new determination to complete the work on the temple. And much of that is recorded in the book of Ezra also found in the Old Testament. Years later, as recorded in the book of Nehemiah, a man by that name led yet another group to rebuild the walls of the ancient city. So that's the historical setting of the book we're going to be studying over these next weeks, and I I think that will really help you to have this larger picture in mind as you see where Daniel fits in. Daniel and three of his friends were among those that Nebuchadnezzar took to Babylon in the first group of exiles. The book of Daniel was written while he lived in captivity there. It is also helpful for us to understand that the book of Daniel itself has two different parts. The first six chapters deal with several dreams and visions that were seen by other people. The second part of the book, chapters seven through 12, however, deal with dreams and visions that Daniel had personally during that time. These revelations that God gave to Daniel concerned both immediate events as well as events in the distant future, laying out God's plan for his people over the ages. And in fact, Jesus even quoted from the book of Daniel, saying that some of his prophecies would only come into effect at a time yet to come, a future time, after Christ. I like to remind people studying prophecy in scripture that looking at biblical prophecy is rather like looking at a mountain range. When you look at a mountain range, it appears to be one solitary thing. However, as you inspect it more closely, you begin to see there are peaks in the foreground that are actually separated from mountains behind them by great valleys. Biblical prophecy is often similar. A vision may have the appearance of all being one thing, and yet it usually applies in part to the times in which it is spoken, in part to times soon to come, and often there is an even further dimension to it as well. That's certainly what we're going to see in the book of Daniel. The visions recorded there often had an immediate application to them. They also foretold what lay ahead in the not-too-distant future, and in some cases, they point to end-time events in the final years around the second coming of Christ. Apart from the prophetic element though, this book will powerfully affect our lives in other ways too. You see, Daniel was a man of real integrity who was faithful to God despite his circumstances. Even in an unreceptive and often intolerant culture, Daniel was consistent in his witness and he maintained his faithfulness to God despite the societal values and customs that surrounded him. He did not allow circumstances to deter him from following the word God had spoken. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to challenge us when we look at Daniel's example, and he will use this study to strengthen our faith and make us better ambassadors for Christ. So let's begin then in verse 1 of chapter 1. So in the opening verses of Daniel, it speaks of Jehoiakim, a particularly weak king of Judah, who often switched allegiances to retain his own position of power. By the time Nebuchadnezzar arrived at his gate, there was no one willing to help him. However, I want you to notice that verse 2 clearly tells us that it was the Lord who gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Throughout the book of Daniel, we will see the sovereignty of God and we'll see the truth of Proverbs 19 verse 21 that tells us many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is sovereign. To say that he's sovereign means that God is ruler over the affairs of nations, and he's also in authority over our individual lives. And we have Jeremiah's word about the nature of his purposes. They may include difficulties, even suffering, but God's plans, whether we always understand them or not, are always for our good, and they're full of hope. God would use these 70 years of hardship and exile to teach his people and all of us that there are consequences for turning away from him. But we'll also see that he used those years of exile to draw his people back to himself. So let's go on in Daniel chapter 1 verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. So these four young men were either members of the royal family or part of the nobility of Judah. And it may surprise you to know that many Bible scholars believe that Daniel was around 15 years old when he was taken captive. Remember, the Babylonian strategy had been to take all of the potential leaders of Judah into captivity first, and it was done so that none would be left in Jerusalem to, to rally the people. And the best of them, those who were good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, were taken to serve God. In King Nebuchadnezzar's palace, it was also part of the Babylonian strategy to quickly destroy their identity. And how was that to be done? By changing their language, by re-educating them, and by changing their Hebrew names to Babylonian names that referenced the pagan gods of their captors. Daniel's Hebrew name, for example, had meant... God is my judge, but it was changed to Belteshazzar, a Babylonian name honouring one of their false gods, Bel, that meant Bel protects his life. The same was true for Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Their names that had also glorified the true and living God were now changed into names that referenced the false gods of Babylon, names, by the way, that they would have even refused to speak. Barely old enough to be in high school at the time, Daniel and his friends were taken captive into a strange land. They'd gone from a royal family into slavery. Their culture was changed. They were cut off from their families and as if that were not bad enough, the foreigners changed their names, their language, their culture. They even decided to change the food that these young men ate, swapping it for food from Nebuchadnezzar's table. It's worth noting that compared to the other nations around them, Jews were very careful about what they ate and this was no random thing. Their food laws were given by God not only to protect them but to set them apart from the people around them, making it plain that their God was different to the idols that other nations worshipped. To force them to abandon their food laws and to eat a Babylonian diet was no small thing, for it meant that they would be eating food that had first been sacrificed to the false gods of Babylon. Everything that was done to these four from Judah was in order to control them, to humiliate them and to make them entirely dependent on the state. But if all that were not enough, there is something else implied here in the text. Verse 3 tells us that Ashpenaz, chief of the king's court officials, was put in charge of them. That title of court official in the text can also be translated as eunuch. As well as enduring everything else, these young men were very likely made into eunuchs, for it was common in those days for conquering kings to castrate the foreigners they pressed into service in their palaces. Everything was taken from these youths, even the ability to have families of their own. On the surface, surely it must have seemed as if they had no future and no hope, despite the words of Jeremiah's prophecy. Daniel could so easily have been angry with God, he could have shaken his fist at the Lord and cried out, Why me? But did he? Verse 8 starts with the word but. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel made a firm decision. He resolved, in other words, he purposed in his heart that he was going to continue to follow the Lord. He would not pollute or stain himself in this way by eating food sacrificed to idols. This was an intentional decision as he and his friends chose to obey the living God, even if that decision put them in peril. Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at the time, had declared that Daniel and the others were to eat and drink from the provisions that were put on his own table. And yet, this 15-year-old Daniel chose to trust the Lord and respectfully refused to do so. Look at verse 9. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, "'I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why, should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you.'" So there's no question about it. Ashpenaz was afraid of the king. He knew that Daniel's suggestion did not make worldly sense. If these young men did not eat well, they would not prosper. And if they did not prosper, Ashpenaz would lose his head. But even in the face of his counsel, Daniel's faith in God did not waver. He believed that the Lord would take care of them. And so though Ashpenaz had refused, Daniel persevered and eventually spoke to the God who had been put over them. Verse 11. Very respectfully, Daniel essentially asks that the Babylonians put his God to the test. He believed that the Lord would honour them and... God surely did because verse 15 describes that at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the God took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. These four made a stand for God. They refused the specialities of Babylon, keeping their consciences clear before the Lord. Because of what they ate or refused to eat, others saw that they were different, that they were devoted to their God and God blessed them. Notice in verse 17 that it was God who gave them knowledge, skill and wisdom. And in addition to that, the Holy Spirit gave Daniel the added ability to understand dreams and visions. They had entrusted themselves to their God, and despite the worldly wisdom of the day, He had honored them. But their desire to represent God well was not limited to what they would or would not eat. They determined to represent the Lord as good ambassadors at every opportunity. Notice how they address the godless authorities over them. They repeatedly spoke with respect. Throughout the book, these four will often speak the truth despite the risk. They will choose to honour God rather than to honour man and yet, we'll see that they always interact with others with both gentleness and respect, not because they thought that their captors were good guys, but rather because they wished to represent God well in every circumstance. Their three years of training passed. Verse 18. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom." And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. God had given them wisdom and ability beyond the normal ability of men. None could compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, because equipped by the living God, they were ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers of Babylon. And that remained true until the reign of King Cyrus, who would be king many, many years later. You know, as we consider Daniel and his friends, I think there are many applications to our own lives. Many of us may have experienced hardships. Some may have lost status, some family, some may be living in a culture that is alien to them. And in fact, I think to a certain degree as committed Christians, that's somewhat true of all of us really. Perhaps some of us feel, though, as if our future has been taken away. The question is, are we going to blame God and resent him? Or will we each, like Daniel, purpose in our hearts to live God's way and to put him first, no matter our circumstances and no matter what the risks Will you choose to be a good ambassador for Christ? Do that and God will honor you just as he did Daniel and his three friends. Remember, everything was taken from these young men, even their hope of a family. And on the surface, it seemed as if they had no future and no hope. But Daniel was willing to hold on to the word that God had spoken to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you." And this is a promise for you and me also. Whatever we're called to go through in life, our Heavenly Father has our ultimate good in mind. And despite how things look, He has a future and a hope laid out for us. Well done for being part of the study and for purposing in your heart to seek God. For God's promise for us, according to Jeremiah, is that as we seek him, we will find him. Father God, thank you so much for your word to us today. And uh, Lord, I look forward to all that you will reveal to us as we consider this chapter yet again in our own quiet time. Lord, help us to be good ambassadors for Christ, irrespective of what we face. Lord, help us to determine in our hearts to follow you, irrespective of the cost. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you all, and I look forward to talking with you again soon. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.